Yeah. So yeah, this is um, this is a sad one. <laughs> There's no question about that. Uh, well, and I will explain to you why it is so much there, Reg. I know you. He was a little before your time, but um, I will at least try my best to explain why and what he meant to me. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. All right, let's get started here. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm going to try to compose myself as much as I can for the next hour. But <laughs> All right, you're all set to go on your end? Good. I like where the, uh, the levels are bopping there. Those needles are looking like they're in a good spot, so we should be fine for that. So I'll give you the three S's. I'll give you the countdown. You give me the music. And I'm going to give you a very heartfelt podcast today. How's that? How's that for a promise? Okay? Put in the book, episode 273. 273. Should have been 235. (laughs) Anyway, are you set? Okay. Star, smile, and especially this time, Jimmy, stay strong. Okay? Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. But most of all, your obligations, your directives don't end there. No, no, no. You have to go out there and spread the word. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Also, if you like what you hear, don't forget, you can go to WGNRadio.com, go to the podcast section, hit the prompt for this podcast, and you will find all previous 272, 272 previous episodes. Of my mindless ramblings of the last five years. (laughs) Ah, but you love it, don't you? And if you like what you hear there, then stay tuned. Because here's another one. Welcome to episode 273. This episode of the podcast, I deliver with a very heavy heart, a, uh, a genuine sense of um, sadness and loss, and it's a, a podcast that I probably, you know, never wanted to, um, to do, but I also believe that uh, as part of this ongoing dialogue between me and you, it's only right that I share this because uh, it, it, it has been a major part of my life for as long as almost as long as I can remember, right up until now. And there's not many things you can think of that have been a, a major part of your life and something that has been uh, 
close to your heart and influenced you and has provided you with, with great enjoyment and thrills and excitement and satisfaction and joy and whatever good feelings you may have. So when you have something like that in your life, you certainly want to hold on to it, you want to celebrate it, and you want to share it. And so I'm hoping to do all three of those in this podcast. Over the last uh, week, uh, I learned the very um, shocking and um, just downright depressing and devastating news, really, that my first childhood idol, and yes, I know that my nickname is Elton Jim, and that I have been following Elton since I was nine years old, and that has become my calling card for most people. You know, when they think of Elton John, they think of, of of Elton Jim, right? Which is very cool. Some people even call me Elton, which I think is kind of fun. But I've certainly uh, put my Elton fandom out there and worn it on my sleeve for all to see and comment on, positively or negatively. Um, and uh, Elton John and his music have been a major part of my life for a good chunk of it a really good chunk of it, for several, several decades. But there's actually someone who came before Elton, if that's possible. Some people maybe, you know, they have like one idol, right, in their whole lives. But I have, I've had several. And when I say idol, I don't mean this in any kind of a... uh, I don't even know what the word is. Uh, it's, It's kind of a... Uh, a misnomer because I just had great admiration for many people for their talents and for what they have done as people in their chosen careers and in their life off of their stages, their many stages. Now I will admit that, that a lot of the people that I have looked up to as, uh, as influences and as perhaps mentors, have mostly been public figures. Now, that's aside from my family and, and, um, and maybe a couple of other family members and a few people that I've worked with who I have felt I learned quite a bit from. And certainly, I've, I've talked about my parents here, and, and I would never diminish their impact or their importance to me in my life. There's no question about that. They, they certainly are the two most important influences in my life, and uh, and they continue to be. Um, but as we know, we always, sadly to some extent, I think take our parents for granted at times, and we look outward for others. I think we, you know, we, 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 because uh, you know, in some ways, we see our parents every day, and while we certainly see their uh, high their their attributes and and those attributes that we would want to emulate in, in, uh, for ourselves, we also see their flaws. And we all have flaws. We are flawed animals. And so sometimes when you see the, the flaws that, at least initially, especially when you're young, might diminish the overall picture. As time goes on and we get older, we realize that those flaws are just as important as those attributes 
that we uh, we admired in our parents because the flaws and the the good parts uh, they combine to make that person. And I think we realize that with everybody is that you 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 can you can appreciate and I say that word in quotes someone's flaws because those flaws are those short-sighted parts perhaps of their perspective or their or their philosophies or their actions still contributed to who they were and who they are so if you love them and if you admired them then you take the flaws as well as the good aspects that you admired in them because it's the whole package now we often look to people in the public eye like actors or singers or athletes uh politicians presidents we look at people in the public eye who have achieved a certain level of accomplishment and um and celebrity or fame for what they've done or who they are. And um, and we, a lot of times, just see the, the good parts of them. We rarely see the other side. And sometimes that other side of these people do become exposed. And we are surprised to find that, wow, they're just as normal as everyone else is. But we do tend to put those people up on a pedestal because we don't have that day-to-day exposure to their humanness. We only have exposure to um, their accomplishment, to, to their talent, to what has made them and given brought attention to them. And so that's a lot easier from our standpoint. We look at that person and say, wow, I want to be like that person because all we see are the good things. And every so often, if you get if you ever get the chance to meet one of your idols, um, and I hope you do, because I've been very fortunate. I've been able to to meet almost every one of my early childhood and even maybe in late teens or in even adult. Um, I, I don't know if you would say idols. I don't know what you would say, but I have quite a few people that I, that I have gravitated to whose whose talents and whose work I've appreciated and I have taken from. And I have been extremely fortunate to have met most, if not all of them. And that's that's a rare gift. And some of it has come through my own dogged um, determination to meet them, and some has happened by chance. Um but i can honestly say that uh, that i have met and had some contact with many or if not all of my childhood idols if you will and some of those include athletes like ron santo of the chicago cubs dick butkus of the chicago bears uh you know actors such as anthony hopkins and uh, Joe Montagna, and obviously entertainers like Jackie Gleason, and obviously Elton John, 
and, and many others, Bruce Springsteen, many of the people that I count among my favorites or people that have, I have, uh, you know, celebrities, if you will, or people in the public eye, I have been able to meet those people. And I have to say that every one of them did not disappoint me in terms of what I could gather, what kind of person they were. So, yes, they had this public image, which is usually always bigger than life. And many times the adage is, um, don't meet your idols because they'll disappoint you because you will begin, you'll see that they are, that they are humans and it may diminish them. I have to say that I've been very lucky that I've met some of my idols that I never would have thought in a million years I could ever have met. And many of them were from when I was a little kid. And so, so to 20 or 30 or 40 years later have been able to always continue to admire them and keep those memories that I had very close to me and then actually meet them. I have to say that I have been very lucky in that they have met and in most parts exceeded my expectations of, of, of who they really were. And I, once again, I, I didn't see them in their everyday life, but at least when I met them, they were courteous, they were embracing, they were engaging, they were appreciative, and I had very good experiences with my major kind of idols, if you will. Sadly, one of those passed away this week. And I've talked about him uh, on a few occasions here on the podcast over the years. Um, Hall of Fame, Chicago Blackhawks goalie, Tony Esposito, who uh, sadly passed away this week or last week um, at the age of 78, apparently from a a short, hopefully short and, and not too brutal and painful battle with pancreatic cancer. And we know how difficult that devastating disease can be. And it was a, it was quite a shock. I, I mean, his uh, his illness was certainly not um, announced beforehand, and so the news of his passing really came out of the blue, and and, and was a jolt. Uh, and not just for me, but um, I know for Tony Esposito fans all around the country and all around the world for anyone who watched hockey in the seventies and eighties and was a fan of the game, you knew who Tony Esposito was. And if you were a Chicago Blackhawks fan, uh, I would make an argument that he certainly was one of the greatest, if not the greatest to ever wear a Chicago Blackhawks sweater for the simple reason that, no, he did not win a Stanley Cup with the team, but he played his entire career, I mean, practically his entire career with the team. He he did get them to the Stanley Cup finals twice in his career. He was a multiple all-star, won the Vesna Trophy, which is the trophy given for the best goalie in the league several times. He played magnificently in what was called the um, in, in a series of, of, of Canadian All-Stars versus Russian All-Stars in the early 70s, which is almost like this kind of Cold War 
hockey match because the Russian team in the 60s and 70s uh, and 80s were the best in the world. And so there was this series of games between the best NHL players and the best Russian players, of which the NHL players did win. And Tony Esposito was a major player and played a major role in that ultimate victory. It was a several-game series. Um, and so uh, it, was, uh, it was a great loss. And, and, and then there are fans, as I said, from all over the world who are feeling this because Tony Esposito really was not only a great player on the ice, but he was a very humble and classy and elegant man off. He was very accommodating and he was easy to embrace. He was at the top of his game. He was voted one of the top 100 players in NHL history, which is saying something. And he certainly deserves that honor. And he was a first-time Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame entry and deserves that. And his number, of course, is retired number 35 by the Chicago Blackhawks, of which, of course, he deserves that. But the one thing that uh, that I think is, is, is unique is that he was endearing. He was so good, and yet... He went about it in a very workmanlike way. And I've mentioned this before, uh, even on the podcast here when I talk about, um, you know, different milestones, reaching certain, you know, five years we just finished or a certain number, uh, you know, 250 podcasts and whatever. And I've always said that I don't really make a big deal about those kind of milestones. And I've always taken the uh, the philosophy of Walter Payton, who, whenever he would score a touchdown, would simply, for the most part, would simply hand the ball to the referee instead of doing a big celebra- celebra- celebration dance or a big spectacle or spiking it. He would spike it every once in a while. For the most part, he would score a touchdown and simply flip it to the ref. And, and his ad and his philosophy was, I want to make it like uh, I've been there many times before and I will continue to be there, meaning scoring a touchdown, the ultimate, being in that end zone. And that's the way Tony Esposito went about his job as the goalie. He made some of the most spectacular saves in hockey history. If you go on YouTube... And I would after this po- this podcast, if I've if I have if I have conveyed in any way, if you don't know who Tony Esposito is or just have a a cursory knowledge of him, if I in any way have been able to convey to you, uh, not only his talent as a hockey player, but uh, his, his his uniqueness as a human being, that you are intrigued or interested to find out more, I would I would encourage you to go to YouTube. And just type in, you know, Tony Esposito great saves or something about, you know, saves in a game. Tony Esposito saves. And there are several compilation clips of some of these acrobatic, amazing saves that he made. He he was a pioneer of what they call the butterfly style of goaltending, meaning that he would uh, use his body and go down and use his entire body as uh, a block. In the early days of hockey, the goalies basically stayed on their skates for the most part. Tony used every bit of his body 
in order to make sure that puck did, get, did not get in the net. It had made for some amazing, as I said before, acrobatic, uh, just mystifying saves. You can't believe that he, that he did them. So I would urge you to go to YouTube and see some of these because um, you'll see what I'm talking about. And as a young kid, six, seven, eight years old, when you see somebody playing like that at that high of a level, creating such excitement, um, it's easy to see why a young kid would be drawn to this kind of a player. And I certainly was drawn by his amazing abilities. But I was also impressed when I would watch him play closely about how he went about his business. Very much like I said with Walt, like Walter Payton. He would make these amazing saves and uh, keep the team in the game and win the game. And he would just put his head down. And he wouldn't act like he did something fantastic. Because in his mind, that was my job. I'm supposed to stop the puck. And he would simply make some great save and then just, just like Walter, flip the puck to the ref and say, okay, here we go. Put his head down, kind of rock in his place while the, the, the cheers were, were deafening from the audience, screaming, Tony, Tony, Tony. And he would just put his head down. He would never acknowledge it. He was very humble. He was, he was like, you know what? I've got to make the next save now. He had an amazing work ethic. He had an amazing humility. He was a great sportsman. He was a great competitor. He was a, a gracious winner and a gracious loser, which is just as, if not more important. Because for the most part in life, we're going to lose more than we win. And we have to understand how to accept that and process that and move on so that we don't let it overcome us. Antonio Esposito, uh, Esposito was on some excellent teams, and then later on in his career, he was on some very bad teams, and he was the only reason that people even came to see Blackhawk games, the only reason that they were even competitive. And he worked his butt off because he didn't have much of a team in front of him, and he was the final line of defense and he still was able to keep those teams competitive. He couldn't score any goals, but he certainly could stop the other team from scoring. And he kept some mediocre teams into games they never should have been in. And for many years, he was the only reason that people went to Blackhawk games was just to see him. He was that much of a draw. But as a young man, as a young, but as a young kid and as a, and as a young adult, I would always use Tony as a role model when I played sports, and I played several sports when I was growing up, I played baseball and basketball and football and, and hockey in organized leagues as well as just, you know, around the house. And I was fortunate enough to have won quite a few of the games and with teams that I was on, and, but we also lost in other times. And I always used Tony Esposito's example of when I was playing to not be a hot dog, to go about my business. If I made a good play, I'd put my head down and just say, we're on to the next one. And that was directly 
influenced by him. And even in my later life, in terms of being a competitor and striving for excellence and trying to be my best, whether it was uh, in school or in my career, um, I, I certainly believe that I was influenced by watching Tony Esposito and hearing stories about how he would train and how he would do what he could to get an advantage anytime uh, to be how he was so active in the game. He was a leader by example. He wasn't an outspoken or loud person, but he led by example. And as I said, what I was even more impressed when I got to meet him and incredibly got to know him, I found that he was exactly what he presented in his personal, in his private, in his public life. He was humble. He was, he, he did have a great humility about him and he did carry himself with great style and elegance and class. So that, that image that he put on the ice while he played hockey was the same person I found off the ice as well. He was a genuine article. He was a great player, and he was a great guy. Now, I'm not going to say that I knew him so well that I hung out with him and lived with him for years and, and you know saw him at his worst. As I said, I'm sure that there are times that he had his flaws like everyone else, and his family and friends would know that. But all I know is that I did spend a good amount of time with him, and I always was observing him, and I never saw him act in any other way than I've just described to you. So maybe he, maybe he was able to watch himself in public. I don't know. But all I know is that I believe that he was pretty much the genuine article. Everybody has their flaws. But I was so glad to say that when I was six or seven years old and I chose this guy, to look up to and to emulate and to use as a role model. Some 40 years later, when I got to meet him up close and know him and have something of a relationship and friendship with him, I realized I chose well. I chose somebody who was deserving of my admiration and the admiration of, as I said, people all around the world. And, um, you know, when I was a little kid, I, of course, I started to play hockey. And, of, I, of course, I played goalie. And when I wanted to play, you know, as a little kid, I got the um, the official Tony Esposito line of uh, goalie <laughs> uh, equipment. There was a company called Milek, which made um, the equipment to play out in the street street hockey floor hockey and i had the tony esposito milek mask i had the tony esposito milek stick and i had the tony esposito gloves that had his you know embossed signature on them the blocker and the catching glove um of course i wore number 35 his number and uh, i played goalie from starting out in my basement with my friends Graduating to the alley behind our my house every day after school throughout the winter and early spring before baseball started. You know, hockey season in our in, in our in our alley 
started around uh, you know September October and then ran right in through the snow until March or April and then it was baseball but uh, played a lot of hockey in that yard and then progressed to playing floor hockey in leagues in parks around the city and then progressed to playing ice hockey and um, played well into my 30s and always always used Tony Esposito's style of goal of, of tending goal which I watched so much I knew every move he made and I knew how he played the game and then also as I said uh, emulating the way he acted as a player not just the way he played but the way he went about and approached the game and um, I am in, in great debt for that and I continued to follow his career until he retired with the team in 1984. And uh, But still, in fact, uh, he lived in the suburb of Chicago called Elmhurst. And I went to Elmhurst College. And I was on the radio station there in the early to mid-'80s. And uh, it was a small radio station, but it certainly went in the surrounding area. And I would uh, every show that I did, I would always just throw out. And if Tony Esposito's out there listening, because he certainly was within the range of the station, <laughs> I don't think he ever heard it, but I always put it out there. If Tony Esposito's listening, uh, I'm your biggest fan. And the funny thing is that uh, when I finally did get a chance to meet him, and become friends to some extent. Um, he would refer to me as his number one fan. He would introduce me to other people. This is guy's my number one fan. He would. He signed a, a photo to me that he sent me one time to my number one fan. Now, believe me, uh, I have talked to many, many Tony Esposito fans around the country in my travels, talking to hockey fans, especially here in Chicago. And I can say that I am not Tony Esposito's number one fan. Tony Esposito has millions of number one fans. He was that kind of player. Uh, fans, as I said before, uh, they just didn't respect his play or just you know appreciate his play as a player. There was a, a there was more of a personal connection. There's no question that Bobby Hall was is probably the most famous Blackhawk in the team's history. Um, but he did leave the team for money reasons uh, later in his career. Um, there's no question. You cannot, you cannot dispute that Bobby Hull's accomplishments on the ice. He had a few questionable dealings off the ice, which once again plays into, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, the entire picture. I think people liked Bobby Hull. They respected Bobby Hull as a player. But I think Chicago Blackhawk fans loved Tony Esposito. Every time I talk to someone about Tony Esposito, there is a different sound in their voice. There's a different look on their face. There is a sense of personal feeling toward him, of more than just being a, an athlete or a player on that team when they watched him. There was something more to him. He had a great charisma. Even though he was behind a mask for most of his career, all of his career, we never saw 
his the expressions on his face. But that mask, that classic mask of his, was so identifiable that that it almost, even though it was made of fiberglass, it seemed to have its own personality, and it, and we saw Tony through that mask. When I would go to games, when I was a young kid and even older, and, and I got lucky enough sometimes to sit close, I would watch him. Sometimes I wouldn't even watch the game. I would just watch him, all of his moves, everything he did. And when, when the play came down into the Blackhawks' uh, area, you could, I could see, you know, we can't see his face, right? He's wearing the mask, can't hear him. But I would notice his, his throat and his chin and the skin under his throat and chin were constantly moving. So it was clear that he was screaming and yelling and, uh, and, and, and into the game and telling you know, his players, look out for this guy, watch out, get over here. He was, he was, he was you know, barking out instructions or, or barking out uh, help to his teammates in addition to just making some amazing saves. But he was in it, and he was clearly a great teammate. And, uh, and I think people saw the commitment that he gave. He was very workmanlike, and especially here in Chicago, which is a very meat and potatoes, you know, middle-class kind of Midwest uh, city. Tony Esposito embodied that. And so he maybe not, maybe wasn't the flashiest. He wasn't outspoken. He wasn't flamboyant. He was Chicago. He embodied the Chicago ethos. He was talented, but he didn't make a big deal about it. He went about his work. He did his job. And I think that's why people admired him. Not just because of the high excellence of how he performed, but as I said before, how he went about his business. Blackhawk fans respected and loved Tony Esposito. And I certainly did. And uh, when he retired, you know, as, as, as is with most athletes, as they get down to the, the back, you know, bottom end of their career, you know, the teams are looking ahead now and what's the future? I mean, Tony carried that, you know, the Blackhawks on his, um, on his shoulder for many years, but uh, you know, every athlete begins to you know lose a step here or there, and Tony's it was 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 certainly uh, not any different. He was a human being, but even as his skills may have deteriorated, he made up for that in true grit, and still played at a high level right up until the time he retired. But from a team standpoint, they had to get ready for a new goalie as tony got into his mid-30s and for a goalie that was especially back then that was kind of old still is really to some extent and so they started to bring in some other goalies young guys to try out to see well who's going to be the future and so those guys started to get more playing time and it was very difficult to watch because you knew that tony still had that competitive spirit and that competitive fire, and he still had the competitive skills. Even a diminished Tony Esposito 
was better than three quarters of any other goalie out there. But the team had to look to its future. And so there was a goalie named Murray Bannerman who began, who came up from the minors and began to be the second string goalie. And one of the, the Blackhawks coaches, whose name was Orville Tessier. And, uh, I, I, I guess in retrospect, I, I, I was probably too hard on, hard on him at the time because he started to play Murray Bannerman more and more. And I would watch games on television or I would go to Blackhawk games expecting and wanting to see, of course, Tony play. And all of a sudden, the announcement of the starting lineup would come up and they would say Murray Bannerman in goal. And I mean, there would be audible boos. People were booing because everyone knew how important Tony Esposito was. They knew he was a legend in his own time, and we wanted to see Tony play. But the team was thinking of their future, and I, I get that to some extent. And so I felt sorry for Murray Bannerman now in retrospect. At the time, I didn't, I didn't feel sorry for him at all. I hated him. <laughs> he, was, he was depriving me of my Tony time, and I didn't like Orville Tessier for, for treating Tony the way I looked at it, like treating him like he did, that he was disrespecting him by putting in Murray Bannerman. As time has gone on, I understand the reasoning for it, but it was still not handled in the, the most perfect way. And while Tony did retire with the Hawks, um, you know, his last season or so, there was some acrimony there. There was some disappointment on his part. I don't think the team handled it in a good way. And uh, while they did retire his number and he was into the hall of fame, you know, five years after his uh, retirement, which is normal. Um, he didn't really stay with the team in any kind of way. He actually went and become the came, became the general manager of another team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Then later on went with his brother, Phil, um, to help found the Tampa Bay lightning expansion team, which over the last couple of years have won Stanley cups. So Tony certainly has a legacy there. So it was sad because uh, this guy gave his his blood, sweat, and tears to the Blackhawks. As I said many times, for for a good uh, five, six, seven, eight years, carried the team on his shoulders when they had uh, very poor teams, and retired with with a, with 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 a good sense of decency and dignity. But a little disrespect, I thought, on the team standpoint. And I maybe Tony felt that because, as I said, after he retired, he you didn't really hear his name. You didn't really see him. In fact, to me, one of the most disrespectful things was that the team um, in the 90s, when they built their new stadium, the United Center, they built a, a statue in the front that was a conglomerate of different, you know, there were, there were generic players, but they looked a little like some of the great players of their past. It was kind of like a generic statue of, of hockey. And the goalie that they had in there pre- presented in this kind of collage of figures was not an image of Tony Esposito. It didn't have the mask. It had a different kind of mask. It wasn't meant to be Tony Esposito, and I thought that was very disrespectful. In fact, I'm still very upset and and disappointed that while they gave statues, official statues to Stan Makita and Bobby Hull, they never gave one to Tony outside of the United Center. And I believed he belonged. He was a, a team ambassador, and he 
they, they, they were the Holy Trinity, and Tony deserved a statue. And now, sadly, if they do give him one, he will never see it, which was the same fate which bothered me as well with Ron Sano, another one of my idols growing up on the Chicago Cubs. And I pushed hard uh, while at WGN Radio in our early days there to get a statue for Ron Sano. We came up with the phrase, get Ron bronzed. And we constantly talked about this. And, of course, the Cubs dragged their feet. And then after Ron Santo died, then they put up the statue. Fine for his fans, fine for his family, but he never got a chance to see it. And sadly now, if Tony Esposito does get a statue, his family and his fans will be able to celebrate it and enjoy it. But he never will. And that's unfortunate. And that didn't have to be. So that's disappointing. But um, I continue to, to, to always keep tabs on Tony. In fact, um, even in my 20s and 30s, when I carried a wallet, you know how you had the pictures in your wallet? Well, a lot of people had you know, pictures of their family, and I did too. But I also had a Tony Esposito hockey card <laughs> in my wallet. From when I was in high school through my 30s, I, and then I got rid of my wallet with pictures. But when I still had a wallet, there was pictures of Elton in there, there was pictures of Bruce in there, and there was a, pic, there was a Tony Esposito hockey card in there. In fact, many years, uh, I, I had this in high school, and there was a, a, a guy that I knew that was a hockey fan, and we talked about Tony, and I showed him my, my hockey card, and I saw him maybe 20 years later. Hadn't seen him for years and saw him somewhere and the first thing he said to me was do you still have that tony esposito hockey card in your wallet and i pulled my wallet i said i always will so tony has always been a part of my life in one way or the other and then i was lucky enough for him to really become a much more real part of my life fast forward um you know tony as i said was not really affiliated anymore with the Blackhawks, so you didn't really hear too much about him, especially in the Chicago area. Every so often you'd hear him on the radio being interviewed, but you know his, uh, his profile had diminished, and unfortunately the Blackhawks organization had very uh, acrimonious breakups with many of their best players, like Stan Makita and Bobby Hull and Tony Esposito. And they didn't really embrace these older players, which was sad because the Blackhawks have such a rich tradition. And Blackhawk fans from the 60s and 70s and 80s were so invested in the team. And they were, they, they were so diehard fans that those players like them, like Hull and Makita and Antonio and many others, became iconic to them. And yet the team was not celebrating them, even though the, the, the fans still love them. 20 years after they played. And so when the management and the owner of the team passed away, William Wirtz, um, his son, Rocky, took over. And he saw, to his credit, and he has said, he certainly loved his father very much and he respected his father. And there's many things about his father and the way he ran the team he felt were good, but he also saw his father's shortcomings about the way he ran the team, especially in later years. The biggest, obviously, not putting their home games on 
television. But also I think the way the team was, the team image was projected to the public and to the, the fans. And as soon as he took over, major changes were made. And one of the major and key changes was he embraced the Blackhawks' history and legacy. And Rocky Wirtz brought back Bobby Hull and Stan Makita and Tony Esposito and named them team ambassadors. And so now they were back in the Blackhawk family. They were being celebrated. They were used to promote the team. They would do interviews. They would do personal appearances. They would show up at games. They would sign autographs. They were walking around the, the, uh, the arena. You could go up to them and see them. They were visible. And they, the, the, the team wisely embraced these players and embraced that past. And for people like me, it was, it was a 180 from the way the, the, the team had been run. And you connected again with the team, not just as a sports team, but as a, on a personal level. Because these players were important to us, and they were icons. And for me, Tony Esposito was the ultimate. So in 2008, when they brought uh, Bobby Hull and Stan Makita and Tony Esposito back as ambassadors, they held special nights for them where they did a whole big ceremony to welcome them back to the home crowd and everybody. They would wear their uniforms and the people would cheer. And it was, it was just a love fest. And it was amazing to see Bobby Hull back in a Blackhawks uniform and supporting the team, to see Stan Makita back in a Blackhawks uniform and supporting the team, and then, of course, to see Tony Esposito back in a Blackhawks uniform and supporting the team and being a part of the organization in some way. So they had a Tony Esposito night in March of 2008, and I had not been to a Blackhawks game in about seven or eight years because the team had fallen on such hard times, and they were really they were, they were the, the 10th, sports team in a five-sport city. I mean, they were pretty much off the radar screen. The United Center, to see a Blackhawks game, when they played at the Chicago Stadium in their heyday, the place was jammed to the rafters. The place shook. And uh, and here I would go, I went to a Blackhawk game one time, and there were if there were 5,000 people in the 20,000-seat arena at the United Center, that was a lot. And I said, I left in the first period. I said, this is not the Blackhawk hockey experience that I remember and that I want. And I never went back to a game again. But Tony Esposito brought me back in March of 2008. And so when uh, when they had Tony Esposito night, I decided, okay, I've got to go back. And it was a memorable evening, which I can still get goosebumps about. Because, as I said to you before, Tony Esposito was not just liked by fans. He was loved by fans. And when he came out before the game, dressed in his uniform, in full equipment, with his pads and his glove, and he stepped out, the United Center sounded like I had never heard it sound before. And it was a roar of appreciation and respect and love. And then he put his mask on. And there was a second wave of excitement. And that was a goosebump moment. And when I saw Tony Esposito in that mask for the first time, 
in what, 20-some years, 24 years, I literally started to cry. It just brought all these emotions flushed back to when I was six and seven years old. Seeing that mask again, seeing he was in great shape, he looked just like Tony Esposito always looked. He looked like he could still take some shots. And it was such a memorable evening. And I was so moved and so touched and so happy to actually be proud that the Blackhawks were doing this that I, I went home that day. And, I, and the next day I, I wrote a letter kind of recalling my experience and the fact that I had my, my, my interest in hockey and my interest in the Blackhawks from this one night, from this one gesture that they made by bringing Tony back and then seeing him being embraced and being respected and loved and, and, and getting a chance to feel that love because I don't know if he ever really, over the last 20 years before that, knew just how loved he was. But he had to have felt it that night because I felt it. And so he had to have felt it. And I was so happy that he was back and that he would be able to, to regularly get that respect and that recognition and that love from these fans who I knew loved him for so many years. And I, was, I wanted him to know and I wanted him to feel that love. And I think he did. And I'm so grateful for the Blackhawks for bringing him back and, and giving him that opportunity to take in that respect that he earned by the way he played. And it all gets back to that. And so I wrote a letter that was printed in the Chicago Tribune on March 22nd of 2008. And I'll read it to you. It says, the last time I attended a Blackhawks game was about seven years ago. Do I grow up? in the 70s and went to games at the venerable Chicago Stadium when I was lucky enough to get a ticket and ultimately became a Blackhawks season ticket holder. The team's descent and misguided management extinguished my passion for the Hawks and hockey. Thankfully, that flame was reignited recently by one person, Tony Esposito. I played hockey because of Tony O. I played goalie because of Tony O. And I became a Blackhawks fan because of Tony O. What a special night it was on Wednesday when the team finally brought back the Chicago sports icon and desertedly feted him after so many years. I went back to a Blackhawks game to celebrate Tony Esposito night and honor one of my sports idols and role models. But a funny thing happened on the way to the United Center. I began to get hockey fever all over again. After Wednesday, I believe I will, be go, I will be going to Blackhawk hockey games again. So thanks to the new Blackhawks chairman, Rocky Wirtz, for correcting 36 years of stubborn, short-sighted organizational management. Thanks to new Blackhawks president, John McDonough. And finally, thanks most of all to Tony Esposito for an admirable legacy of dedication Drive, talent, work ethic, accomplishment, and humility. That letter was printed in the Chicago Tribune. And about two weeks later, much to my excitement and surprise, I came home one day and there was a light flashing on my telephone answering machine. And I hit the button and... I'm still, I, get, I get goosebumps when I think about it now. The voice said, Hi, Jim, this is Tony Esposito. 
I got your letter. I saw your letter, and I just want to say thank you so much, and why don't you give me a call and we could talk? (laughs) Can you imagine? (sighs) I can't even tell you what I was thinking. I was in my mid-40s, and I was five, five years old again. I called my wife, and I said, you'll never guess who called me. Tony O called me. Tony O called me. I was like a little kid. I was so disappointed that my mom had just passed away about two years before because she knew how, she knew how much I loved Tony O. I actually wanted to change my name to Anthony. And I, I would always ask her, how do I change my name? How do I change my name? I want to be Tony Toronto. And I almost was that because when I was in seventh grade and I made my Catholic confirmation, well, I guess you can guess what my confirmation name is. You got it, Anthony. And ironically, Tony Esposito's name is Anthony James Esposito. And mine is James Joseph Anthony Toronto. And of course, we both have O's at the end of our name. So, and we both played goalie. So he was Tony O. And I was Jimmy O. I called Tony Esposito back, of course, and we spoke for about 45 minutes, and I was on cloud nine, and he was so sincere and so genuine and so appreciative, and it was a highlight of my life. I couldn't believe what just happened. And then fate played a very interesting role. Fate, but also hard work, dedication, drive, ambition on my part, which I learned from Tony Esposito. In 2009, a year later, I had no way of knowing this ever happened. 2009, I went to work with Gary Meyer at WGN Radio, which was then now broadcasting the Chicago Blackhawks games because the team was on the rebound ever since the new management took over. And so through this, I was I had new access now to go to Blackhawk games, which I said in my letter before, I think I've got hockey fever again. And a year later, I certainly did. And the Blackhawks were getting very good. They just missed the playoff by one game, in fact, in 2009. But they were on the rise. They had Patrick Kane, they had Jonathan Taves, and now they had this new management. They had Tony O and, and the ambassadors there, and there was a whole different feel to the team, there was ex- ex- there was excitement again. The stadium was filling up, and you could feel something special was going to happen. And in 2010, it did. And so I was a, a, a part of that uh, Stanley Cup team in terms of that season. We we broadcasted from the United Center throughout the season. We had Blackhawks on. We had Tonio on. And uh, we broadcasted during the, the Stanley Cup Finals. I got a chance to meet Tony and spend some time, reminded him of this letter, talked more, and he was so appreciative again and genuine, and we just kept in touch. And I would see him several times, always say hi. Then he started to call me his number one fan and all that. And every time he saw me, he kind of, had an initial, you know, an immediate recognition, a smile. He came by. He would tell other people, this is my number one fan. He'd, he'd grab me, shake my hand. He'd spend time with me. We talked. We laughed. He shared stories. 
And I couldn't believe that I was actually, quote unquote, a friend of Tony Esposito's. Not a friend in the conventional sense, but certainly more than I ever could have expected when I was six or seven or eight years old and used to watch him on TV or see him at the United Center. He was, a, he was so bigger than life, and now he was treating me with a certain amount of respect, or at least treating me like I was on his level, which was just incredible for me to uh, you know, to take in. And so uh, we just, I just continued to, to talk to him and, and keep in touch. And, and then I got his email, and I would email him, and I got his home address, and I sent him Chris, or Christmas cards, and I sent him birthday cards, and I would send him emails. And if I found some things uh, you know, around my house of when I, when I was a fan of his as a little kid, I would take pictures and, and send it to him. I found a drawing I did when I was about seven or eight or nine years old of, of him in the net. And I sent it to him and, and, you know, hockey cards and pictures and, and all this stuff. And he was genuinely appreciative of it. And I really did feel like there was a friendship there because I would send him an email and he would get back to me within a day or two. And it was just kind of like, I can't even believe this is happening. Once again, I was, I was so upset that my mom wasn't around to see this. She would have had such a kick to know that not only did I meet Tony Esposito, but now I was kind of friends with him. Talk about full circle. Well, one of the, the greatest things that happened then was just about two years ago. And the last time I saw Tony Esposito, he had uh, done an event at the United Center with his brother Phil, who was also a Blackhawk. They never played together on the team. They traded Phil before Tony got on the team. But they were both Blackhawks at one time. And uh, the Blackhawks do this event called One More Shift, where they bring back an older player. And they dress up in their uniform and they before the game and they skate around and the fans you know cheer and they appreciate one of these great players from the past. They had done this with Tony several years ago, but they decided to do a double one with Phil and Tony. And so, my gosh, what a, an event. If I went to that Tony Esposito night in 2008, I had to go to this one in 2019 to see Phil and Tony, who were both voted among the top 100 players in hockey history. How is that for two brothers to be involved like that? So I went to the game with a good friend of mine who has been a Blackhawk fan and a Tony Esposito fan just as much as I have been. As I said, there's number one fans everywhere for, of Tony Esposito. And so I was invited to attend the game, and I brought my friend, whose name is Tony, <laughs> with me. And we were watching the game, and we saw this, this amazingly emotional ceremony when Tony again came out in full pads and uniform and then there was that mask again and oh my god when he put it on again the crowd went crazy that mask is so unique it is so tony it was the face we saw of him and that's why it's one thing to see to have seen tony esposito with the hawks jersey on you know and and his even with his equipment but with his regular face you go okay there he is but when he put the mask on then he became Tony Esposito because that was the picture we saw of him making those great saves and carrying this team for so many years. And so much to my surprise, I was invited to go and see him in his 
luxury suite where he was watching the game with Phil. So I went there with my friend and I walked in and he recognized me and we had a great visit and took some pictures and it was great to see him again. He seemed to have slowed down a little bit. He was about maybe 75 at the time, 76. Oh, maybe well now, yeah, about 76. He seemed to have slowed down a little bit, but he still was engaging and Phil was very personable and very nice and we talked as well and Tony was there and it was just an incredible night as, as for a kid that grew up watching these two great players and watched Tony Esposito to be able to sit in a room basically alone with him and just have his attention and talk with him was just amazing the piece de resistance was that I mentioned I said to Tony wow you brought the mask how great was that when you put it on and he casually just said to me well you know it's it's right over there in that bag if you want to take a look at it well, for me, who played goalie, for me, who watched this guy with that mask on, it is such an iconic part of his persona. To be able to see this mask in person, to be able to touch this mask, it was like the Holy Grail. And I went over and I went, and it was just in this unassuming bag, a little plastic bag. Who would have known what was sitting in this bag? And I pulled out this, this mask and I showed it to my friend and we both just kind of looked at each other like, can you believe we're doing this? And we took pictures with it. I was going to put it on, but then I said, you know what? I don't deserve to put it on. That's Tony's mask. My face doesn't belong, to be, doesn't belong in this. Only his does. So I took a picture with it and it's one of my prized possessions. And that was the last time I saw Tony Esposito in 2019. I continued to correspond with him. And in fact, one of the great things is in 20, about five years ago, around Christmas time, I went to my mailbox and I got a Christmas card from the Esposito family. And for the last four or five years, every Christmas I have gotten a Christmas card. It's a photo picture of Tony and his wife and his sons and his granddaughters. And the fact that he would have thought enough to include me and to acknowledge me in such a personal way to send a Christmas card to me, I can't tell you how much I was moved and touched. And once again, I was like, oh my gosh, my mom would have went crazy if she would have seen that I'm getting Christmas cards from Tony. And over the last four or five years when I started to get these Christmas cards, I would look forward to getting that Tony Esposito, Esposito Christmas card with the same excitement that I awaited Santa when I was a little kid. It, it was the, every, for the last five years, it was the best Christmas card I ever got and the best gift I ever got. To be able to have had a relationship with my childhood idol one of the first ones and the first one I ever had to the point on this personal level to get a Christmas card. I can't even tell you. I can't express it. This April was Tony's 78th birthday, April 23rd. And as for most of his birthdays over the last 10 years, I have sent him an email wishing him a happy birthday, but also would send him a hard copy card. And I would always get a quick response, thank you, you know, for the birthday wishes, good luck to you, blah, blah, blah. You know, very short, but still an acknowledgement. Well, I found it interesting 
just this year, just a few months ago in April, I didn't get any response from Tony. And I was surprised by that because he had always responded, maybe not the next day, but a couple days or even a week later. But I never got a response to say thank you for the card or thank you for the, for the, the birthday wishes. And so I just figured, well, you know, and I, as I said, he seemed to have, you know, uh, he, he looked a little more fragile when the last time I saw him in 2019. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if there was anything wrong. But he just, you know, he was getting older, right? That's just a part of aging. But I did find it strange that he didn't respond to me. I didn't read anything into it except I was disappointed. But I did wonder, I wonder if there's something health-wise with him. You know, I mean, he got hit by a lot of pucks in his career, and he got hit a lot of times. And many hockey players do get, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia, especially hockey players, and even a goalie. You know, they don't, they don't get checked into the boards, but he got hit with pucks quite a bit in a 20-year career, coming at him at 100 miles an hour. So in the back of my mind, I wondered if there were some health issues with Tony, but I never really thought of anything. Until, of course, last week when a good friend of mine called me and I wasn't aware. I wasn't around of television or a, um, you know, a computer. And it was around 5 or 5.30 our time when I guess the news was announced. And I was outside. I wasn't even around. And a friend of mine called me about an hour after. And he said, well, I was waiting for you to call me. And then I figured, you know, if you didn't call me, I'm going to have to call you. And, and so he broke the news to me. And I have to say that uh, a, a genuine rush of of sadness came over me. I don't purport to be have become best friends with Tony Esposito. I will never categorize it that way. But I will say that we did have a friendship of some sort, an acknowledgement of each other, a connection, a relationship of some sort, and. The fact that I have been an admirer of his since I was seven, six, seven years old, of a, a major portion of my life, and then I did come to know him later in life, and the kind of appreciation and respect and feeling and connection he gave back to me I can honestly say that I, I I really felt like I lost someone close to me. And I just have to say that uh, I am a better person, and in many ways I am the person I am because of Tony Esposito. And I'm proud of that. I hope I've been able to take the best of what he exemplified both on and off the ice and make it a part of who I am and a part of my life. So I offer to his family, his wife Marilyn, his sons and his granddaughters, my deepest, deepest condolences. And I share their grief and I share their loss and I share the void that they are feeling with his passing. And I share that with all of the Tony Esposito fans out there as well. I know what you're feeling. I have spoken to many people of many different ages, and I've mentioned Tony Esposito's passing, and every one of them says he was my idol. 
He was my favorite Blackhawk. It's a, it's 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 a constant and repeated sentiment. I loved Tony Esposito, and I wasn't the only one. There was a country, a hockey world, and a world itself filled with Tony Esposito fans because of who he was on the ice and who he was off the ice. So, Tony, thank you so much for being a part of my life in ways I never thought possible. Thank you for influencing my life. Thank you for enriching my life, for giving me thrills and goosebumps and excitement and friendship. And yes, in one way or the other, at least from my standpoint, love. In my mind, there will only and ever be only one, number 35. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Don't forget every Monday a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your, your loyalty and your devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 273. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Tony, 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 Tony.